Good morning and happy Tuesday to you. It is August 9th and you are listening to Roadmap to Heaven at this 7 a.m. hour right here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Happy to be with you for the hour. Let us begin today as we always do in prayer. And we pray again our morning offering and our novena prayer to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. O Most Blessed Mother, Heart of Love, Heart of Mercy, ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayer. As your children, we implore your intercession with Jesus, your Son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today. We are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayer. We trust to your gentle care and intercession those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burdens in this life until we may share eternal life in peace with God forever. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday, I was just attending to some various things I had been putting off for too long, checking in on some connections, trying to do a little networking, all of those things that you know most of us that work in a professional capacity have to do from time to time. And while I was doing that, I happened to notice a post about uh, how grateful some students and parents were for the return to school, uh, and specifically for one person at their school who happened to be the dean of students of my high school for discipline. We had two deans. We had the dean, vice principal, dean of students for academics, and then we had the vice principal, dean of student discipline. And I was remarking uh, on the post because we were all sharing memories of, of this wonderful uh, faculty member that we had, that one of the things to this day, to this very day, some 21 years later, and really if you go back to when I started in high school, it's now been 25 years since I graduated eighth grade, if you really call it that, since I completed grade school and went off to high school. And instilled in my mind by this gentleman was the fact that when you are wearing slacks and a polo shirt, slacks and a button-down shirt, um, you tuck your shirt in. No excuses. If you have belt loops, you wear a belt. And to this day, it bothers me to, to, to be wearing slacks and have a, a polo shirt or a, a button-down shirt, have it untucked. In fact, it's, it's, it's a little weird for me just to wear a T-shirt even untucked. It's weird for me to wear pants or shorts that have belt loops without a belt. And behind all of this, he always taught us that this was about self-respect, that if you respect yourself, you're going to make sure you look presentable. And if you look presentable and, you, and people can tell that you respect yourself, that's going to help them to respect you. Now, what does this have to do with growing in holiness? The, the more I think about it, it keeps going back to what we say every day here on the show. Discipline, 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 discipline. If you pray that rosary every day, then on the days that you, you maybe miss your routine, say you pray the rosary every day at 10 a.m., right? 
and then a day comes along that something happens, you're stuck in a meeting, or the kids are doing something, or, or you know whatever it may be, and at 10 a.m., you don't pray your rosary that day. Well, maybe noon comes along and you still haven't prayed it, and you're starting to feel off. Like, something's not right here. Something is wrong. Something is missing. Something needs to be corrected. It's that you haven't prayed that rosary. For four years, it was instilled in us. Shirt tucked in, belts on. Every day, non-negotiable, unless it was a dress-down day. Formal attire day, ties on, shirt collars buttoned to the top button. Blazer and or sweater, respect yourself. To this day, I have a hard time breaking those disciplines because for four years, they were an integral part of my life. If that's how much four years can affect how I dress, imagine the effect praying the rosary each and every day can have for you, right? So pray that rosary each and every day. Today on the show, uh, we've got a lot going on. We're going to be talking about the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass in a couple of different ways today. We're also going to continue our series with Doug Berry on spiritual warfare. And Father Kirby is going to be with us. Like I said, we're going to be talking about the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. He'll be talking about scriptures in the Mass. And we've got a catechist for you today, all that and more. But before we can go to any of that, let's go to Mike Roberts for a check of today's weather. Today is the feast day of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, a martyr. Born in 1891 in Breslau, Germany, which is now Roklaw, Poland, her birth name was Edith Stein, and her parents were devoted to their Jewish faith. However, by the time she was a young teenager, Edith had become disenchanted with any spiritual journey at all and was an avowed atheist. As she witnessed the devastating impacts of World War I, Edith was moved to become a nurse. Once she began her studies, she moved quickly all the way through to receive her doctorate, and in the process came across the writings, the works, and the life of St. Teresa of Avila and was deeply moved by the Carmelite journey. This led Edith to a complete spiritual reset, and on January 1st, 1922, Edith Stein was baptized into the Roman Catholic Church. Initially, she taught at a Catholic school, but a Nazi law passed in 1933 forced her to leave that position because of her Jewish ancestry. So she began the process of becoming a discalced Carmelite nun and in 1934 became a novice taking the name Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. As joyful as her experience was, this was an extremely dangerous time and eventually Teresa and her sister Rosa who had also converted and become a Carmelite, were sent to the Netherlands for their protection. But in 1940, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, and in 1942, after the bishop there called for the protection of all inhabitants and denounced the Nazis, all Jews and those with Jewish ancestry were arrested. Teresa and Rosa were sent to Auschwitz, where they died on this day in 1942. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 391 says that behind the disobedient choice of our first parents lurks a seductive voice opposed to God, which makes them fall into death 
out of envy. Scripture and church's traditions see in this being a fallen angel called Satan or the devil. The church teaches that Satan was at first a good angel made by God. The devil and the other demons were indeed created naturally good by God, but they became evil by their own doing. This week, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about that seductive voice that we're all hearing and the the spiritual battle going on around us. But, you know, what if I told you right off the bat that as much as we're going to have to fight in this battle and as much as this battle is going to rage around us, that the devil, that Satan is, while powerful, his power is not infinite, and that God still beats Satan. And in fact, there are some things that the devil just can't handle. All week long, we're going to be talking about the reality of spiritual warfare with Doug Barry. And yesterday, we were talking about that very fact. It is a reality. It is happening around us. It's been going on since before I was born, since before Doug was born. And it's going to go on, unless the world ends in my lifetime, it's going to go on after we die. So the one thing we got to be careful of when we were planning this out, Doug, you mentioned this, is not to over-spiritualize and not to under-spiritualize. And I would say, you know, don't underestimate the power of the devil, but don't over-attribute everything going on in your life to the devil. Yeah, there are people out there who, you know, I've given talks for years on the reality of the devil and this whole subject. And just general, let's look at the reality of what's going on here. People will come up sometimes and say, well, I don't want to talk about this. I'm afraid the devil's just going to attack me in the middle of the night and start throwing me around. They hear the odd story now and then from this particular saint or that saint, like a St. John Vianney, who was physically tormented, or St. Padre Pio. Yes, they were. That's a very, very incredibly unique situation that God allows, but there's a whole, whole lot of information that needs to go into understanding that before someone could think that this is going to happen to you or me. In general, what we have to realize is that God never allows any attack from the enemy without giving us the means and the ability to deal with the attack. He is going to be there. The devil doesn't have that kind of freedom over us. It's kind of like St. Padre Pio saying that unless you step into that circle of the dog, you know, the dog's on the chain, he's got the stake in the ground, and he's running around, and you can see the path that the dog leaves from his back and forth running. He wears out the grass and so forth. So you can tell the length of the chain. If you stay outside that reach, you're fine. You step inside, you're in trouble because you've intentionally done that. Now, that being said, we also have to realize that the devil doesn't attack at every moment in every way. There are people who say that the devil's behind every tree, and I've heard an exorcist put it this way. He's not behind every tree. He's probably behind every other tree, though. In other words, he's coming at us from the world, the flesh, and himself, the devil, in some way, shape, or form on a regular basis. But that doesn't mean that we are defenseless. We don't want to over-spiritualize that and think, the devil's coming at me. I woke up this morning with a headache. I know the devil's trying to wreck my day. Well, it might just be that you didn't hydrate yourself well enough the night before. You didn't sleep well for some reason. The body has to be dealt with in not always over-spiritualized to the point where, oh, something's wrong with me, therefore it must be the devil. Or I'm driving down the road and I got a flat tire. See, it's the devil trying to cause problems. It might be, but it's most likely just that you ran over a nail, right? That fell off the back of a truck or something. So these are things to consider. Now, there are, of course, the reality of this. When I worked at EDB10 a lot, I still had the TV show with EDB10 Battle Ready, but I was going down there for eight years pretty much every week, and we would do Life on the Rock. I co-hosted it. And every now and then, we would see certain guests that were coming on that were going to talk about spiritual warfare. We would have some sort of technical issue. The power might go out. We'd have to turn to backup generators, or there was some something wrong in the booth, control booth. This did happen, and it happened regularly. So Father Mark oftentimes would say extra prayer, and you know you have to call on God, and you know things would work out. Now, was that always a, a spiritual attack? 
Don't know for sure. I do know that an old spiritual director told me this. We always have to do everything we can. And exorcists do this too. Everything that we can to try to see if there's a human, rational, natural explanation for a problem. And if there is, then you don't automatically attribute it to some spiritual attack. Now, once you exhaust those things, then you can start really discerning whether or not there is some spiritual aspect to this. But in general, I just caution people, be deeply prayerful. Don't assume everything is a spiritual attack from the enemy, but also don't under-spiritualize things. Because there are people who go through life, Adam, you know it. And, you know, there could be all these obvious spiritual attacks coming at them, and they're just like, ah, I'm not thinking about that. The devil, he's not doing this or that. It's like, well, that could be under-spiritualizing it. Now, some right now are thinking, well, then how do you find the balance and get the right, you know, the right groove in the middle of all of this? It's like, it's a day-to-day thing. You pray, you stay close to God, you try to practically, rationally look at things, you know, through the lens of the natural world that we do live in, while knowing, yes, there is a spiritual component that is always at play, and the closer we are to God, the more these things become clear to us. But don't, don't, I just encourage people, don't think that every single thing that's coming at you that's wrong is always an attack from the devil trying to destroy you. Sometimes, hey, look, maybe you just didn't take care of your health. Maybe you didn't take care of your car. Maybe you didn't change those air filters like you were supposed to. And now you got a problem with your furnace. Okay, let's look at those natural things very much as well. Great advice for us today. And tomorrow we're going to talk about how long we have to stick with this. And I'm looking forward to that one too. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate being with you. Active Consecration to St. Joseph. Oh, dearest St. Joseph, I consecrate myself to your honor and give myself to you that you may always be my father, my protector, and my guide in the way of salvation. Obtain for me a greater purity of heart and fervent love of the interior life. After your example, may I do all my actions for the greater glory of God in union with the divine heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary. O blessed St. Joseph, pray for me that I may share in the peace and joy of your holy death. Amen. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and we are happy to be speaking this morning with Father Jeffrey Kirby, pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indian Land, South Carolina, a place that is quickly uh, moving up on my list of places to visit, Father. If for no other reason, then one day I hope to meet you face-to-face. But it's good to have you with us by phone this morning. Thank you, Adam. It's good to be on the show. And you're always welcome in Indian land. (laughs) Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, Father, today, you know, we're in the season of ordinary time, which is something we're going to talk about in a future episode, but it's a good time to step back. We don't have that focus on Lenten preparation or Advent preparation or Easter and Christmas joy. Uh, this is kind of a good time to get back to some of the basics. And one of the things as Catholics that I think we undeservedly get a bad rap for is that as Catholics, we don't really use our scripture as much as our Protestant brothers and sisters do. And we were talking on the on the phone before we started our interview this morning about Dr. Scott Hahn. And I think what a classic example of a a, a former Protestant who saw how much the scriptures were part of what we Catholics do, especially in the Mass. And so that's what we, we would like to talk about this morning is, how are we using scripture at Mass, aside from the obvious first reading, epistle, and gospel? Yes. So a lot of times, as you indicated, Adam, Catholics aren't aware of the biblical richness of, of the Mass. And what's powerful when we talk about the Mass is that we had the Mass before we had the Scriptures. So 
the Christian community was remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, remembering aspects of, of Scripture that applied to him from the Old Testament, and they were sharing these Scriptures in the Eucharist before it was then written down. So when we say that the Mass is biblical, that's accurate, we could also say that the Bible is liturgical, because the Christian community was remembering the Lord Jesus, remembering his teachings, brought them into their Eucharistic celebration, and then in the course of time as the Scriptures were written, when the early Christians realized the Lord was not going to return within the next few generations, within their few generations, they began to write them down. So there's a rich history in terms of the Scripture we find at Mass, but then also how we find those Scriptures at Mass, and that ordering of the liturgy first, do this in remembrance of me, and then only later does the Christian community begin to write these down. And if we look at the Mass, we see the entire Mass is an explosion of Scripture, from the Holy, 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 to Lord, I am not worthy to receive that you should come under my roof, to the prayers that are offered. It is all richly charged, either exactly from the Scripture, like word for word, or definitely within the spirit and the themes of the Scriptures. Indeed. You know, that example you just gave us, Holy, 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 comes to us straight out of Isaiah's vision that he recounts, and we hear in the prophetic book, or, or the book of the prophet Isaiah, and, you know, that was one of those beautiful things that was pointed out to me many years ago, and, and just one of many to say, oh, wow, that is, yeah, a lot of the Mass is scriptural. Father, one of the things I want to ask about today, because I know we're talking about the scriptures at Mass, and the first part of our discussion here has been how it's more than just the readings, but I do want to turn to the readings for a second, because we often think about the the Mass as the work of the people of God, that we are offering this act of worship to God the Father through the Son in union with the Holy Spirit. And so everything we do at Mass, while we receive great benefit from it, in the end is ultimately ordered towards an offering to the Father. So while we hear the readings, and it's good for us to hear from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Proverbs and Genesis and Exodus, and it's good to hear the letters of St. Paul to the Romans and the Colossians and to Timothy and the Corinthians and the four Gospels, even that very act of having those scriptures read at Mass is also an offering. And that's something that I think we lose sight of every now and then, that we're saying to the Father, you know, please have mercy on us. If for no other reason, remember how you had mercy on the people of God before. I wonder if you could share some thoughts on that. Yeah, so very much. If we look at that part of the Mass where we receive the Scriptures and the interpretation of, of the Scriptures, what we call the Liturgy of the Word, and if we were to understand that those Scriptures are the written form of the revelations of God. Okay, so God is revealing himself to us, words and deeds, this is contained in the Scripture, and we're hearing this Scripture proclaimed to us right there at the Mass. It's a living Word. Uh, when we hear the Gospel, we give a direct address to Jesus Christ. You know, reading from the Holy Gospel, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We're giving Him a direct address because the Lord is present again, proclaiming the Gospel to us. And when we understand that we're receiving these revelations of God in the Liturgy of the Word, and from the Liturgy of the Word we go to the Liturgy of the Eucharist, and it's literally, we see in the Mass, the Word proclaimed becomes the Word made flesh in the Eucharist. So with the Mass, the interaction, that first part of hearing the Word of God is so essential 
Because first, the Lord is speaking to us. God, once again, is speaking to us, just as he spoke to Moses, just as he spoke to David, just as he spoke to the Holy Ones. And then in the Mass, we can see that word, that revelation, become flesh in the Eucharist. So the Mass, the mass is so beautiful. We could spend years and years diving into the mystery and the beauty of what we have at Mass. And to, to your point, Adam, sometimes Catholics will just approach the liturgy of the Word as if, well, it's just a prelude. Like, well, I can get there before the Gospel and still receive Holy Communion, right? Like, well, no, you should be here for the whole liturgy of the Word. You know, this, this isn't a legalistic game we play. Like, God is speaking. Like, He wants to speak to you today. And in His providence, what He declares in His Word at every Mass has immediate application to every heart that's present. Indeed. You know, I'm glad you say that because so often, I won't say so often, every now and then I've been to a Mass in a parish where the liturgy of the Word almost comes across as story time. And and sadly, I've been to Masses where I expected the lector to pick up a picture book and then show us all the picture after the way things were being read. But it's not story time. It's instruction time. As you said, it's God speaking to us through the Scriptures. So would it be incorrect then or would it be correct to say that, say we go to Mass, and the, the reading is from the prophet Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. That's not just God talking to Jeremiah, but that's God talking to Father Kirby and to Adam Wright and to everyone listening that hears that scripture proclaimed at that Mass. Amen, amen. I tell you, Adam, yes, and if your listeners get that, then suddenly scales drop from their eyes and they begin to understand the power of the leaders of the word, because we're not just up there reading history books. Or, and as you're as you're saying, it's not story time. God, as you indicated, God is speaking and saying those same words that He said to Jeremiah, each of us. He's saying that to my heart. And as I pay attention and listen to Him speaking, then suddenly I apply that living word to my life. Like, where in my life, in my discipleship, do I need to hear this today? Where am I struggling, or where do I have concerns or fears? And how does this living word apply to me? Uh, to your point, Adam, about the liturgy of the word being a time of instruction, St. Paul tells us in Romans, all Scripture is given for instruction. And later, of course, to Timothy, he says, all Scripture can correct, edify, it can build up. It's, it's a living word. And we get that preeminently at Mass, because as Pope Benedict says in, in his writings on the, on, on the, on the Scriptures, there is no proper place, no better proper place for the Scriptures than in the Eucharist. And he goes so far as to say that if you're not hearing the Scriptures in the Eucharist, you cannot fully interpret or understand the Scriptures. Wow. Wow. Well, friends, I think we have some work before us, you know, not just to prepare for the readings at Mass. Although, if you want to do that, there are so many great free resources out there. I used just my own Sunday Missal. I went to the Catholic bookstore and bought a Sunday Missal, and I like to look ahead at the readings. And I like to do that with a book, Father. I I have to say, you can find the readings online at usccb.org, and you just click on Daily Readings. You can find every day's readings there. But there's something about having a book in my hand in a quiet place, in a chair, in my prayer space, looking at the readings that is so Aside from that, there's great books out there on how the Scripture is interwoven through the Mass. And, you know, I think The Lamb's Supper by Dr. Scott Hahn is one that if you haven't checked it out, that's another book you may want to add to your reading list to learn 
about the Mass. We could go on and on. Sadly, time is a constraint for us this morning. Father, I wonder, could you close our time together with a prayer, please? Absolutely. Let us pray. Lord, we ask you to give your blessing to your people. May you reveal your face to them. May you continue to speak to us. May you open our hearts. May we do all that you ask of us through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back after this. A prayer for priests. Oh, my God, help those priests who are faithful to remain faithful. To those who are falling, stretch forth your divine hand that they may grasp it as their support. In the great ocean of your mercy, lift those poor unfortunate ones who have fallen, that being engulfed therein, they may receive the grace to return to your great loving heart. Amen. Precious blood of Jesus, protect them. And our catechist question is this. We often talk about the fact that Jesus is a divine person with two natures, but what are angels? What are they in terms of nature? Are they just angels? That's the question before you today. Well, the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches us the answer to this in paragraph 328 and 329. 328 says the existence of the spiritual, non-corporeal beings that sacred scripture usually calls angels is a truth of faith. The witness of scripture is as clear as the unanimity of tradition. St. Augustine says angel is the name of their office, not of their nature. If you seek the name of their nature, it is spirit. If you seek the name of their office, it is angel. From what they are, spirit. From what they do, angel. With their whole beings, the angels are servants and messengers of God because they always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. They are the mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. As purely spiritual creatures, angels have intelligence and will. They are personal and immortal creatures, surpassing in perfection all visible creatures as the splendor of their glory bears witness. Um, angels have been present since the since creation and throughout the history of salvation, announcing the salvation from afar or near and serving the accomplishment of the divine plan. The catechism goes on to say that the whole life of the church benefits from the mysterious and powerful help of angels. From its beginning until death, human life is surrounded by their watchful care and intercession. Beside each believer stands an angel as protector and shepherd leading him to life. Already on, here on earth, the Christian life shares by faith in the blessed company of angels and men united in God. And see, this is one of the beautiful things about, about God's creation. So you have spiritual beings, spirit in nature, angels. And then you have us humans. We, you know, we're human, we're corporeal, we have a physical body, but we also have an immortal soul. We have a spiritual soul. And so we are a unification of corporeal, of a bodily, and spirit. And the angels are just spirit, they don't have a body. But they are always with us. And I want you to keep that in mind as we keep talking about spiritual warfare with Doug Barry this week. That you, you have an angel with you. The Catechism says it very clearly. Human, from its beginning until death, human life is surrounded by their watchful care and intercession. So maybe in your prayers, in your prayers, ask for the intercession of your guardian angel. 
and ask for your guardian angel's protection. Ask the Lord to have your guardian angel protect you in this realm of spiritual warfare. We are going to take one last break here to get a check of the weather, then we'll have the daily dose of encouragement for you. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. You know, as I think about it, as we wrap up here before we go to the weather, I would also say this. Uh, One of the most beautiful prayers out there in the life of the church is in the funerals when we sing, may the angels lead you into paradise. You know, if we're going to go to heaven, that is the goal. So here's that check of the weather we promised you. Prayer to Our Lady of Perpetual Help. O Mother of Perpetual Help, grant that I may ever invoke thy most powerful name, which is the safeguard of the living and the salvation of the dying. O purest Mary, O sweetest Mary, let thy name henceforth be ever on my lips. Delay not, O blessed lady, to help me whenever I call on thee, for in all my needs, in all my temptations, I shall never cease to call on thee, ever repeating thy sacred name, Mary, Mary. It's a good time to stop on this Tuesday for our Daily Dose of Encouragement with Patty Schneier. This week we are talking about things Patty wants to say to the teens and college students about to head back to school. So yesterday we just talked about this general rule of thumb that it's a litmus test. If you wouldn't want your parents to watch you do something, don't do it. It'll uh, help you make better decisions. Today I want to address when you do make a mistake. Most teens and young adults are scared to death to tell their parents when they blow it. If they've wrecked the car, if they've cheated on a test, if they failed a class, or if I could for a moment speak to any young woman who's just found out she's pregnant, right? Scared to death to tell their parents if they have a problem with pornography, whatever it is. Maybe you've just received a court summons for driving under the influence. There's so many of these big, big moments when you know you've made a mistake, and I know you're scared to tell your parents, But once the initial shock and disappointment has worn off, because again, there is going to be shock and there is going to be disappointment because they only want what's best for you. But please know this. If I could say this to all young people, your parents want to help you. They want to help you get through the worst days of your life, the worst decisions that you've made. They want to help you because, as we said a few weeks ago, love doesn't stop at disappointment. Your parents' love for you is unconditional, so tell them the truth. My biggest advice is do not keep secrets from your parents. Do not tell lies. The secrets and the lies will destroy you. When you blow it, get back on the right path by going to confession and mass, and it's only there that you're really going to find peace. And remember that you're not the sum of your past mistakes. You are the sum of the Father's love for you. So go receive mercy and forgiveness from God first so that you can begin to forgive yourself and begin anew. And then parents, when your child really has blown it, wrap your arms around him or her and show the strength of unconditional love. Offer grace. It goes a long way. They need you in their corner and do what you can to be there to help them and let them know that you are there to help them. Well, Patty, I can honestly say you've left me at a loss for words with this one. This is such an incredible encouragement for all of us. And as a young parent, I pray that I have the grace to follow this encouragement when my kids are grown up. Thank you.
I want to share with you before we depart some words from Frank Sheed here, uh, coming back to the two elements of the creation of man. The Lord God formed man of the slime of the earth. That accounts for his body. And he breathed into his face the breath of life. That may occupy us rather longer. Breath, remember, is the name of the third person of the Trinity, for the root meaning of the word spirit is breath. Put this together with another phrase from Genesis. Let us make man to our image and likeness. What God breathed into man was his own image and likeness, a spiritual soul. It is by our soul, partless, spaceless, immortal, capable of knowledge and love, that we resemble God. It is an improbable combination, the slime of the earth and the spirit that is in the likeness of God. And we're so used to the combination, Frank Sheet says, we may not remark how extraordinary it is, but it is. We are the only creations of God like this. He made us like that for a reason. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I want to thank Father Jeffrey Kirby for being with us today and Doug Barry as well for our continued series on spiritual warfare. And we look forward to spending more time with them tomorrow. Uh, well, not with Father Kirby, but with Doug Barry. Tomorrow, we're going to be firing up the barbecue grills here on the show. What do I mean by that? Well, you'll just have to tune in. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven today. Pray your rosary.